Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun Podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how working and partnering with Booking Protect can give your customers a better, more personalized buying experience, more peace of mind when they make a purchase, and how you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue, visit www.bookingprotect.com. While you're there, make sure you check out the Booking Protect blog, where we are putting out some really great content um, built around turning your data into actionable insights, increasing your revenue, uh, driving sales through the bottom of the funnel. There is a ebook available there currently about customer service, and we have a new one coming out in the next couple of weeks about uh, driving sales through the bottom of the funnel. Um, all of that by visiting www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, visit www.bookingprotect.com and find out how you can put the world's most comprehensive refund protection product to work for you and your organization. My guest today is Gary Lustig from Lustix, and he was introduced me to me by Ghislaine Bullman, who was a, a episode on episode a couple about six weeks ago, and she said you got to have Gary on. Gary talks about um, customer service, and he's got like a really great take on customer service. I've often told everybody that listen to me that I think customer service is the best form of marketing. So this is a really really great conversation. I am probably wish we had more time to to extend it, but we talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, we talk about uh, putting customer first, and Gary tells a really great story about his customer epiphany, which I thought was um, really, really drew it, put it into a stark contrast. Uh, we talk about how to turn your ticket system into a profit center. We talk about using customer service to drive loyalty, um, building for long-term success, um, driving revenue, obstacles to success what a successful customer service organization looks like, um, you know, how you can under, kind of uncover or develop a better view of what your customer service looks like from not through your eyes, but through the eyes of your audience. I mean, it's um, a really, really great conversation, and I hope you dig it. So without further ado, here is me in conversation with Gary Lustig from Lustigs on the Business of Fun podcast. I want to welcome Gary Lustig from Lustix to the Business of Fun podcast. Gary, how's it going? Great. It's going wonderful. Awesome. Now, you were introduced to me by my buddy, Ghislaine Bullman, who was um, probably one of the most fun podcasts that, that I've done, and so you have a lot to live up to. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I really was interested because Ghislaine was like, oh, you have to talk to Gary because Gary really focuses on putting the customer first and customer loyalty and thinking about customer to, as a way to create long-term success. And those are all things that are it's just music to my ears. Um, can you explain a little bit to us how you have developed this customer first philosophy? Sure. I'm going to tell you about my customer service epiphany, if you will. It was a long time ago. Uh, when I started out in the ticketing world, it was really perfect for me. You know, it was very policy driven, very rules driven and if you had a policy and you had a rule and you followed it, nothing could go wrong. No matter how unhappy the customer was, it was great. You kept your job and you were rules driven. And, you know, I worked in an organization uh, where it had this obviously season ticket holders, subscribers that 
would come to shows on a regular basis. And sometimes they would miss their show for Life Happens. You know, but the rule was if you didn't exchange your ticket before that show, sorry, you were out of luck. Well, we were going through, I ended up on a call with one of those customers. He gets on the phone with me and he says, Gary, you know, we're on actually on our way to the show. Got a phone call, you know, that my son was in an accident. And, you know, is, is, it, is there anything we could do, you know, because obviously we missed the show. And, of course, I just started to go down my checklist of rules, you know, and, you know, and really wasn't being very helpful to the guy. Uh, and at the end of the conversation, he said to me, you know, Gary, I understand you've got your rules, but the least you could have done was ask me how my son was doing. And that just completely changed the world for me in terms of customer service. Because, you know what, every single one of these customers is a person first, and you have to figure out what's best for them. Uh, because otherwise, how do you have a successful business if you don't treat people as if they're people? So uh, from then on, it really became about customer first. And, you know, the rules really shouldn't be rules. There should be no more rules when it comes to customer service. You just have to do what you think is best for the customer. Right. And I think sometimes, you, you know, you put it very, very elegantly in the idea of like, how is my son being like the, like the least human thing you could probably do, right? <laughs> it's, it's like pretty powerful because I know that it's unfortunate. I went to a baseball game recently and it was in a city where I'd been one other time. Or I mean, I've been there a lot of times. I had been to the baseball stadium one other time. But I was taking my wife and my son for the first time ever. And they, we, didn't, we, we didn't know, right? It's not my home ballpark. I don't know. I was like, well, where should I sit, right? And, and really, it was like I was giving them a chance to sell me. And, like, and my wife goes, well, how was the experience? And I go, it was friendly and unhelpful. And I, and I, and I think, I think a lot of times we do get rule driven or what's the least I have to do to deal with a customer. Right. Cause I, I get it. Right. We're all busy. We're all like, probably heard the same question a million times, but the, the, the way that I've always looked at it is the first per time that person's asking me that question is the first time they've asked me that question. And it's really important because I don't know what that person's dealing with. So for me to like, just be like flippant or short with them, I'm doing them a disservice. And it's just, to me, I mean, you know, it's just uncool, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to realize you, uh, if you're working in tickets in some way, you are holding someone's evening in your hands, right? Or maybe even more, more right? Um, an example I use is when I had, I lived in Seattle, I worked for the Experience Music Project, and so I could write my schedule, and I had Sonic season tickets. And at the time, my stepfather was really ill, and he was uh, in the process of passing away, which was unfortunate, but it was all those people that I engaged with at the arena and at my seats and, like, all throughout the thing that made that period of time, like, really, like, um, less, less, less difficult for me. Um, you know, and I was like, going, so you don't know exactly what you're dealing with when you're dealing with a person. So when we started talking about customer first, it was, you know, it really struck a chord with me. And, and, you know, I don't know if that was my epiphany, but it's it very, um, it, it still sticks with me. Right. Um, but one of the things that's interesting here that I know that you talk about too, is driving customer loyalty. Because I'm sure that like your epiphany went into the understanding how being friendly to people drives loyalty. Um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about share a little bit how about how you came to that point of view? 
Well, it's interesting because uh, customers, you know, at this point don't have very high expectations of service. Uh, you know, they really, ex- you know, at best they expect, you know, what you described, you know, friendly, efficient, uh, and, and that's a considered a, a successful, you know, okay experience. Uh, I got what I needed. Nobody was rude to me, uh, but they didn't make me feel, you know, anything special. And, you know, here, here's an example of, uh, how experience drives loyalty. Many years ago, I, I began. I was a basketball fan. Grew up a Knicks fan, of course, in New York. Uh, but mo- moved to Texas. And, very, and, that's a very painful thing to be a Knicks fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'm not a Knicks fan anymore because uh, many. I was living in Dallas when the Mavericks started up, so I started to follow the Mavericks, and I'd go to an occasional game, and then then they actually made the playoffs as a relatively young expansion team. And I decided I wanted to go, so I picked up the phone. uh, And uh, tickets were hard to get, so I used a contact. Um, But, you know, not didn't really talk to anybody really. I have the Mavericks, got my tickets, and apparently I had written a check, and apparently they had quoted me the wrong price. And this was – and I get to the game – and somebody comes to my seat with an envelope filled with cash of a refund because I had overpaid like $5. Okay. I guarantee you I was a Maverick season ticket holder for the rest of my time that I lived in Dallas. And, and when I decided to go to Philadelphia, you know what was the hardest thing that was working against me leaving, leaving the Dallas area, Fort Worth area, was giving up my Mavericks tickets. So. <laughs> that's that's awesome though i mean it's like a little thing i don't know if you know um martin gameltoff from activity stream i do i do martin yeah. yes and what that martin would love that story that's like a magic moment right there yeah i mean it's it, it, it's like so simple five bucks right it's not going to make or break anybody but it's just the fact that somebody walked the envelope to you and gave mm-hmm. you the five dollars it was like it's really awesome yeah you know i i would suspect they would be doing that for pretty much anybody in that circumstance. And, you know, and, and that was that organization. That was the culture of that organization. And it still is. Yeah. And, and that's really important because I think when you bring up culture, right. And you tell me if I'm wrong, it's not one thing. It's an accumulation of everything, right? Like I have this, the marketing philosophy that I tell, share with everybody, which is that marketing isn't just one thing. It's everything. Well, it's true. You know, culture, Culture has to permeate an organization, and uh, it's not just uh, among the frontline team. As a matter of fact, the frontline team is probably the, you know, gets it last, you know, because it starts at the top and, uh, you know, takes about, oh, five minutes or so to create a really bad service culture and about five years to undo it. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) that's exactly right. Once you figured that out. And in the meantime, you have no idea how many customers you're driving away uh, who, are, who are giving you bad word of mouth. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that's a really good way of putting it. it. It can take you five years to build it and five minutes to destroy it. I mean, that's – I mean, it's, but it's true. Right? There would be a hundred 
thousands of different really great interactions you've had with people, and then you just need to catch one person at the wrong place at the wrong time at the wrong date, and it's ruined all the work of like all those other interactions. That's right. Uh, So you know when I go into an organization, uh, you know I typically find that the frontline people really do want to deliver good service, and it's and they're inhibited more by what's happening on top around them and on top of them uh, than they are by what's in front of them. Now, I know one of the things you do that you work with organizations on now is that you help them understand what their customer service culture looks like. Mm -hmm. Can can you explain to us how you do that? Sure. Uh, I will usually start, you know, with with a, you know, a a C-suite executive uh, that that realizes that they need to do something. And I will then spend some time. uh, Before you go further, let me ask you this, because I don't want to miss this point. So you say you start with a C-suite executive that understands they want to do something. What usually triggers this? Uh, because sometimes I, what I, sometimes you feel you find people and you go, my God, your customer service is awful, and they like, oh, our customer service is totally fine. So I know they're like two different people. So how do they get there? Usually, it will be because their revenues are going down. Uh, they they are hearing anecdotal complaints from customers, and they want to try and get to the bottom of what their what you know is there a problem? What what the problem might be. And they may also be hearing it internally uh, in a lot of cases. Their own teams will be talking about, you know, we're not providing great service. So uh, what I will do, uh, you know, once somebody believes that there is an issue or a problem, and sometimes it will also involve somebody new coming into the organization that really just wants a fresh start, uh, I will spend time uh, in advance talking to that executive talking to the management of the ticketing team, uh, trying to understand what their jobs are, how they're doing them, uh, you know, what they see as, as issues or challenges are. And then I'll go on site and I'll spend a day in one-on-one interviews with frontline teams. Uh, you know, and from those early, inter- those first interviews w- with executives and ticket management, We'll develop, I'll develop a series of questions uh, that, that are probing uh, and, and try and get a sense of what's going on. And I will spend the day with them, then I will return and come back and, and, and issue a report. And, and what I typically am looking for and what I typically find is not a group of frontline people that don't want to provide good service. What I find is a group of frontline people that have obstacle after obstacle preventing them from providing service. It could, it could be some really simple, stupid stuff. Like our phone queues uh, are really long first thing in the morning because our computers are so old, it takes 10 minutes for them to boot. And by the time we, we get it booted and get on the phone, the queue's already built up. Well, okay, how much does it cost to, to, to throw $25 worth of memory in every, in every one of these computers to make them a little faster? Uh, you know, that's always an issue. You know, there's always some, some ridiculous issue like that. Uh, I spend 25% of my phone calls and emails are people that can't find something on, on our website. And so, th- therefore, they're having to call us in order to do so. Uh, that has got nothing to do at all with the frontline providers, you know, but the customer's already frustrated by the time they call. 
Uh, I worked somewhere once where the most visited page on the website was the seating venue seating chart. How many clicks away was the venue seating chart from the home page? It was five. You know, so how frustrating is that? If you can't, if what people want to look at is, is your venue seating map and you've made it five clicks away. So fix that. Uh, how is it that customers learn about promotions before the frontline staff does? What's wrong with the internal communication? Uh, so so th- those are the sorts of th- things that come out of it. I also learned that in most, in almost all, every case, no, there is no type of service metrics being kept in an organization. Nobody, nobody can has any idea how they're really doing, or what? speaks with a common voice. Well, let me ask you that. So, what kind of service metrics should people be using? Because I had made a note over here of a question I wanted to ask you, which is like, how do you help the executives understand what success looks like? Because most of the time, customer service is going to fall into the area of an intangible. So sometimes it doesn't show up like you're going like, oh my God, I got a 10 on customer service, which usually is, you know, not the best measure of whether or not you're doing it well or not. You know, there there's multiple metrics that can be done. Some are simple uh, and free and some, some cost a little money. Uh, but a simple metric is every CRM ticketing system out there has the ability to capture a note. And so when you have an interaction with a customer, either by email or by phone, uh, that's out of the ordinary, either good or bad. Uh, you should be putting that into your CRM system and tagged in such a way that's reportable. And if all of a sudden you, in a week you start to see 12 people complain because they couldn't find an events calendar on the website, uh, that's a service metric. Um, if uh, 18 people complained uh, that they couldn't find where to park, that that's a service metric. Right. Uh, your phone systems typically can provide all sorts of customer service metrics from simple things like what's the average hold time, what's the average time to abandon when somebody gives up, uh, and uh, or your phone system. And by the way, it's, it's not about tracking how long your average phone call takes. Uh, because I, don't, I, don't, I never use that as a service metric because it implies – to, to a frontline provider that uh, there's a limit to the amount of service you should provide. Right. So, but it's, if uh, I've been in that organization too, where it was like, going, Oh, you spent so long on the phone with this customer. Um, mm-hmm. You spend too long on the phone with the customer. And I was like, well, yeah, but if the customer's spending a substantial, substantial amount of money, what's mm-hmm. too long? Yeah. You know, when, when I was at ticket Philadelphia and, and we handled all the ticketing for the Philadelphia orchestra, one of the, finest orchestras in the world, and it came time for renewal season, uh, we would have phone calls that would go for two hours because these subscribers had been going for 20 or 25 or 30 years, and they were really specific about what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it, when they wanted to do it. And if the call took two hours, I didn't, didn't, that wasn't a metric we cared about. Uh, we, we cared about that they made the sale. Uh, so, uh, phone systems can also have the ability to do really simple things. Like when you end a call, uh, set up a system where type in a single number and put it in a broad category of six things. This was a single ticket sale. This was a season ticket sale. It was a subscriber exchange. 
it was uh, somebody having a problem on the website or it was somebody uh, just making an inquiry about ticket prices. And that'll give you all sorts of metrics because now all of a sudden uh, you you better understand what people are doing uh, and, and how they're spending their time. You can go to external sorts of metrics. Uh, you can do secret shopper programs, uh, which is obviously will, will give you really great metrics. And yeah, let, you, me, let me stop you on that one because that one's one that all I talk about a lot, right? It's like because I know that you know we started here, which was you know the executives knowing there's some sort of problem and want to change it. And one of the, the ways I tell people, I go, the best way to understand what really is going on is to shop your own product and then i go like people go oh i can't possibly do that or like there's no way to do that and i was like what i bet you you can and i bet you just don't want to do it because it's inconvenient so now you tell me how like when you have a secret shopper like kind of the process and what you learn like what you go through and like some of the things you learn and uncover because i think if you tell people so it doesn't come from me it may have a little more impact (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that, but, I'm not sure but uh, we try. That's all we do. We try. You know, uh, there there's multiple ways to secret. You know, secret shop. You've got to decide which of your channels you're going to uh, uh, to secret shop. And, and we did phone and walk up at our box office, uh, and typically, uh, and, and the web is. I would do web a little differently anyway, but uh, you develop. Uh, a, seri- a script, in essence, for the secret shopper of what you would like them to do, and uh, a- and they will then purchase tickets, basically using the sort of script, trying to find, trying to create, you know, either simple transactions or pain points, you know, problem areas, uh, and after that, and they will go through that completely through that sale, buy tickets. And then they will do a, a uh, scoring based on uh, the script. And you have to have a volume of them. It doesn't have to even be a very high volume. You know, we, we typically did about, uh, through each channel, 25 or so a month. And then you, you get a monthly report. A, you get an individual report so, so you can see the results of individual uh, staff members interactions with a customer uh, and then you get it statistically and you can so it it tells you two things Uh, it tells you a if you've got an individual employee that needs some assistance uh, or maybe they just had a bad day uh, but we don't want anybody ever have a bad day anyway Uh, and you can see it with a period over a period of time uh, what are the areas that you need to train better on because people, because your your staff isn't doesn't get, you know hasn't hasn't gotten it, uh, and that typically that's on management. It's not on the on the staff. So, and over a period of time, you you get actionable information. You can say, you know what, people don't understand. People aren't explaining the the, the refund exchange policy correctly. Uh, people aren't explaining properly. Uh, what a limited view seat is and what that means for the experience. Uh, so all, all of those are metrics that are actionable. Yeah, and, and, and the way you explained it was great. So thank you for that because I often tell people, you know, and this usually reflects the marketing aspect of it, but to me customer services is probably the best form of marketing. 
that you aren't your audience, right? Your audience is going to have a different expectation, a different understanding, a different feel for everything that you know is certain. And so you have to practice the art of empathy, which is like seeing the world through the customer's eyes and saying like, I don't know exactly what, you know, I don't, if I were in your shoes, this is how I would see things and, and walking people through that way. And so that's like a really, really, really great way that you described of getting people there so that they can see. Because most of the time it's this and this applies to the marketing work I do the same way I'm sure it does with the customer service work you do. It's like once you show people what they're not seeing, they can never not see it again. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's like been if I haven't had any success as a marketer, that's it's my ability to see, see the world, not the way I want to see it, but the way that like the person I'm trying to help and serve and, and convert, see it. And it's really, really powerful. Um, you know, so like this, this stuff is, I think great for that. Um, now to change subjects just a little bit, Look, knowing that I am extremely obsessed with how you make money, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have, have on your website, a very interesting idea. And it's one that I know because it's on your website that we share in common because it is, and that's making sure your tickets prop, the ticket system's profit centered. A few ways you've already talked about, right? Which is like understanding that you can tag um, interactions and make notes in, on ticket purchases is great. Um, understanding how revenues can be, uh, be driven down by bad customer service. Um, understanding, you know, maybe the import of having uh computer systems that are up to date or like that have the proper amount of uh, memory and speed, you know, all these things. But this idea of profit centered ticket systems, I want to explore just a little bit because it's kind of very similar to what I talk about marketing. I go, if marketing is just a cost or a loss leader kind of thought, you're doing it all wrong. The same way with your ticket system. So can you explain to us a little bit about your profit center, making your ticket system a profit center? Because to me it's obvious, but the same way we just talked about with like not see, seeing the world the way I see it, but the way the customer sees it, can we explain it to everybody else so they can see it the same way we do? Sure. Uh, there, there's two parts to this. Uh, one is a very easy, everybody will probably agree, agree part to it, and, and one is uh, a, a little more uh Difficult, at least for, for those in the uh, in the performing art nonprofit performing arts world. Uh, you know, the first part to it is uh, every interaction with a customer um, is an opportunity a to build loyalty, uh, b to create uh, better experiences, and and c uh, generate more revenue. And, and they really are all interconnected. So, so so if you're and it doesn't matter whether you're on the phone or on the web. Uh, they're coming to. They can't. They called you. They contacted you. They want to buy a ticket. So, so the first first thing is you want to make sure you get them the ticket that they want. But it shouldn't end there because uh, that's just a transaction. Uh, and you know. So okay, uh, where are you? How are you coming to town? Are you, are you driving? Uh, do you do you know where you're going to park? Oh well, let me tell you about. We've got a relationship with this garage. We can pre-sell you. A parking pass, and uh, it'll have a barcode on it, and, and you won't have to worry about filling with a credit card there, or, or paying before, or paying after. Uh, and and, and a, a, it'll be a discount for you, uh, 
because we've got a relationship with this. And, and, and what we don't, of course, say is that, hey, uh, I'm getting a cut of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a cut. That's right. <laughs> you know, but once again, it's, it's a win-win-win. The parking garage won, the customer won, the venue won. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, and and so same thing with restaurants. You, you know where you're going to eat. Well, you know what? We've got to deal with this restaurant. Da 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 da. Uh, so those are all. You know. Oh no! Since you're coming to this show, by the way, if you added this other show right now, I can give you a discount on it. So all of those are very easy and free ways to generate more profit or revenue. Uh, uh, so, so that's the first part of it. Uh, and, and you really have to make sure you, you're, you're A, delivering on the first part of it first, the transactional part, before, in, in a really good way before you're going to be able to uh, implement those other pieces of it. The other part of it is, is the world generally understands that fees attach to tickets now. And uh, you need to understand what your market will bear uh, in terms of collecting fees. Uh, you know, and, and particularly if you control your own ticketing system, you've got the full ability to control fees. And uh, people go to Broadway shows, they expect to pay fees. A lot of it has to do with the product you're selling, too. Uh, so... Um, you know, in Philadelphia, we were very consciously uh, first a service-driven organization, uh, but we were also uh, a revenue-driven organization in, in that uh, fees are attached to tickets, and we want to make sure that uh, we collect the appropriate uh, fees that people are expe- are expecting to pay anyway because um, it drives profit. You know, so ticketing becomes more than just a cost center. So those are the two pieces of it. No, uh, first one is easy. The second one, it really depends upon upon your organization uh, and and your environment. Uh, but we always, by the way, we always did uh, annual surveys of what our market was, both sports wise and other entertainment options, to make sure that our our, our fees were were reasonable and generally lower than everybody else's. I think the, um, the the problem with the fees, and it's good that that's, that's part of the thinking here, is that you, you have to do a better job of justifying the value of them, right? Because I think where people, again, mm-hmm. most of the time with anything that's price driven, it isn't so much. It isn't. I mean, sometimes it is the price that I don't want to be dishonest with anybody, but a lot of times the price is a reflex reaction to something that they don't perceive to have the value that they believe it should have. And I, so I think like, the, you know, it's very important to think through this idea to make sure that you understand what the value is you are delivering to your market, because if not, they're going, they are going to bat back at you about some of these fees mm-hmm. and some of these, you know, charges and everything else. But if the value's there, they're usually not going to complain at all. It's a, it's a value. It's always a value thing, at least in my, in my experience. That's right. And, and it's, it's got to bear some relationship, you know, to, to the price of the ticket and it's got, it's got to be, it's got to be defensible. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. To your point. Um, and can't just be outrageous. Right. Like, like some of them are. Yeah. So yeah, there, I mean, there's sometimes like, even, even if you understand 
where they're coming from. You're like, going, these are not necessarily defensible. Um, they they do make it look they do make you look bad. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we could talk hours just about that. Oh my gosh, yes. No, no, no. no this is great. Um, now, Gary, I um, I I found this thing great. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me at uh, www. Dot lustics.com it's l-u-s-t-i-c-k-s.com uh, or they can find me uh, gary at lustics.com via email okay and I'll tag those in the uh, show notes so that people can find you easily enough um, Gary I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us I think, oh, great. We, I think we probably could have gotten into a lot more even <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time to do this oh. No, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to do this. It's been great. Awesome. Well, I'll have, you know, I'll have you back sometime now. Oh, great. Excellent. Love it. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Gary Lusting, for being on the Business of Fun podcast. As always, you can find out what I'm up to by visiting my website. It's www.davewakeman.com. You will notice that there are two events coming up over the next couple weeks that you should be paying attention to. The first one is in L.A. on June 5th where I'm going to be leading a one-day workshop with my partner in crime, Eric Fuller, about selling and marketing tickets, especially to the premium audience. So that'll be on June 5th. The second one will be in D.C. on June 10th and 12th, which will be sandwiched in in between the June 11th FTC online ticket sales workshop. Uh, Both of them are going to be really unique, very interesting. Um, We're going to talk about strategy and messaging and all kinds of things that are going to help you um, in your ticket sales efforts. The one in DC is unique because it's going. we're going to work before on understanding how to go to one of these uh, FTC meetings, uh, understanding who the vital important players are, uh, understanding how to have a message and talking points ready, who you look for, all kinds of stuff. And then on the 12th afterwards, we're going to focus on how to put what you learned and what happened at the meeting into action. So both of them are very unique. You will find them more um, about them at my website, or you can find them on Eventbrite. Um, As always, you can also visit me on Twitter. I'm at David Wakeman. If you know the person with the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, please get it for me. Uh, Connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, visit my blog, like again, at DaveWakeman.com. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Um, Any listing, any sector, anywhere. Booking Protect has you covered. As I mentioned at the front, there's great content at the block, right? You'll find out how to use the data that you gain from working with Booking Protect. You're going to find out how to turn um, and drive more sales to the bottom of your funnel. Um, there's going to be there's ebooks there. There's all kinds of great, great stuff that's going on there. So you, you find that by visiting www.bookingprotect.com. Um, and until next time, hey, thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Take it easy. <laughs>